Previously, on Snicktoons, we returned to the experimental format of live commentary during the episode rather than the episode breakdown that we usually do. Uh, Only this time I was joined by my youngest son, Landy, and together he and I watched and commented on X-Men the Animated Series Season 3, Episode 11, Cold Comfort, one of my top five uh, favorite episodes of this series. So that was a lot of fun having him on. Of course, before we watched our episode, provided our commentary, we discussed our ideas for a Lego X-Men video game as we have both been enjoying Lego Marvel superheroes one and two recently. So it was a lot of fun. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, make sure you go back and give that one a listen. And of course, stay tuned as myself and a returning special guest host break down X-Men, the animated series season three episodes 12 and 13 Savage Land, Savage Heart part one and two. All right, bub, as you heard at the top of the show, I am back with a special returning guest host, and I'm so glad to have this particular host back on because she has not been on the show since, like, early season two. She was on for the Storm episode in Africa, taking on the Shadow King, which was, like, the third episode of season two, fourth episode, and so I finally am able to get her back on the show, and... I am pleased to reintroduce Noelle Reed of X-Men Unraveled. Noelle, welcome back to Snicktoons. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So excited to be back on the show. (laughs) Yes, it's always a good time when talking about X-Men, the animated series. And of course, the episodes we're talking about today, uh, I have a feeling that you probably are a big fan of these episodes, but we'll find out. Uh, But before we get to our episode breakdown, I wanted to ask you, what kind of X-Men fandom stuff have you been up to lately? I mean, obviously, uh, your own podcast counts, <laughs> um, and I've been really loving all of your stuff. Uh, like I said, uh, I've, I listened to your most recent episode about Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, and I'm not the biggest Scarlet Witch fan, and you are like a really big Scarlet Witch fan, so it was really great to hear you talking about this duo and like coming in with the Scarlet Witch point of view and talking about all the great stuff that Wanda is capable of and all the potential that she has and that you don't really like Quicksilver like at all. He's just like an afterthought for you. (laughs) That is a great way to describe it because it is totally how it is in my head when I was writing my Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver episode. It was like, I'm writing my Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver episode. Like, I, I I kept having to remind myself, you're talking about Quicksilver, too. And I, he's barely there, like, to be honest. Because uh, I don't like him. He's a jerk. <laughs> I only tolerate him because Wanda loves him so much because he's her brother. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I'm, I'm not really the biggest Quicksilver fan either. Uh, with, like, the one exception is, and I don't know if you've, if you've read this issue. I hope you have. It's uh, X-Factor number 87. It's the, like, examinations issue. It was, like, 
in the early 90s, in the Peter David, like the initial like 20 issue, give or take, uh, Peter David run of X Factor, they went on this mission and there was like this, you know, this traumatic thing happened to the team. And so when they got back into the U.S., the government, of course, was like, all right, well, you have to see everyone on the team has to talk to a counselor. So they call in like Doc Sampson and it's just like this one off issue where each character is there for like maybe three or four pages and they're talking to Doc Sampson just about themselves. And the three pages with Quicksilver are like the three best pages of the entire original Peter David run of X Factor. It's so good. And it kind of sort of not entirely, but it kind of explains why Quicksilver is such a jerk to everyone all the time. Is that the one where he's just describing that he's not just like faster, like physically, but things are happening around him slower. Is that that issue? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. (laughs) That makes, it makes so much more sense for who he is to know that like, he's like thinking fast, he's moving fast and he's just like watching everything slowly happen around him. One, it doesn't, necessarily make me like him better but yeah it gives that understanding of like why are you so terrible all the time (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah exactly it's like oh okay it's because you don't have any patience left i as a dad i understand running out of patience (laughs) so like i totally get where he's coming from but yeah it's it's, it doesn't justify the fact that he's a jerk uh but oh well (laughs) yeah it's uh, he describes it as like being stuck behind uh, someone who doesn't know how to use the ATM and it's yes. like what should be like a 20 second transaction, pop in your card, type in your code, hit the button, get your money, be done. And it's like, and instead it takes like 10 minutes, you know, which in like in, in today's world, like sitting at the ATM for five minutes or 10 minutes, like I'm going to get a, a decent chunk of podcast listened to. So I don't mind anymore, but like back then in the 90s, you know, where it was like this convenience, you know, like movement had like swept the culture of the United States where it was like, oh, yeah, everything's got to be convenient. Getting stuck at the ATM for 10 minutes. Oh, that had to suck. A nightmare. Yes. My version <laughs> is going to the airport and there are still people who walk up to the TSA counter and don't have their ID and boarding pass ready. I'm like, <laughs> things have been this way for over 20 years now or like not knowing what goes in the bag and what comes out of the bag. I'm like, Oh my God. So yeah. In that way I can understand Quicksilver because I lose my mind every single time where I'm like, why did you, why do you even have a water bottle with water in what, what possible, how did you not stop this from happening 10 minutes ago when you walked in? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) No, but it was good to hear like you talking about Wanda because I'm not a big Wanda fan, um, mostly because the whole no more mutants thing. Now, I know that that wasn't like her fault. Um, She was like in a very bad emotional state. She had been taken advantage of like mentally for I don't know how long, you know, she she suffered all the stuff from Avengers Disassembled. Uh, where she's been manipulated by Agatha Harkness and all of that stuff that was going on. And then having like the Avengers kind of like turn their back on her when she needed them the most. And then of course, having Quicksilver like manipulate her even further and creating all the house of M stuff. So it's like, I, I get that it's not the character's fault, 
but she's still the one that said no more mutants and gave us like 15 years of terrible X-Men comics. So <laughs> I'm going to hold it against, it's not her fault. I get it, but like, I, I still hold her responsible for that. So, but it was awesome hearing like you come in and be like, no, no, no. Like in her whole history, like she's always been written so crappily. <laughs> yes. It drives me crazy because there is just like, there is this core of the Scarlet Witch that is interesting and I mean her relationship with Quicksilver, they have such a I would say it's toxic, but they love each other, which is very real as far as siblings go. I mean my brother and I, I think we understand each other better than anyone, but we also hate each other more than <laughs> anyone else at times. Like but then if he called me and needed help or if I called him and he needed help, we are we are there for each other. So it's like that that dynamic is interesting. And my brother could do horrible things. And so I'm like, okay, you're my brother. Like, I've got to help you. So, like, that dynamic can be so interesting. But, like, at her heart, she's like, you know, she starts out in the brotherhood of evil mutants, right? But she's just there because she feels like she owes a debt to Magneto. And... There's never a point, and this is what drives me crazy about House of M, is there's never a point when Wanda, like, expresses, like, actual evil intent, like, on her own, of her own volition, um, in anything that she does. She, she wants to be a mom. She wants to have her husband. She wants, like, this normal life, and seeing how that conflicts with her life as a superhero, um, or sometimes supervillain, if depending on who's writing her, um, is just so interesting. But my, I always just remain loyal to, like, who I see Wanda really is, this caring person, this person who just wants the life that we all want um, at some level, just being happy, being with those that we love. And, like, that, that's who I see as, like, the core of her, because a lot of her stories are about family. And that's not very often true of superheroes. Um, you know, the X-Men are kind of like a chosen family, but they're not blood relatives or anything. And Wanda has these relationships with Quicksilver, her brother, Magneto, her sometimes father, um, and with Polaris, too. That relationship of sisters, but kind of like, um, like a, not estranged, but kind of along those lines of, you know, they're not really connected in the same way, but they're learning and learning about each other. And those those parts of her character and her story I find so interesting. And then they get interrupted by terrible writing that always comes up and turns her into the super powerful, crazy woman. Um, <laughs> I see her powers. I'm like, she is magnificent. And she doesn't have to crazy because she has that much power. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love the passion behind your, your Scarlet Witch standing. This is awesome. Um, I care way too much about Scarlet Witch. I apologize. <laughs> no, no, never apologize. Uh, I, I do. I will admit that I really liked Wanda in Wolverine and the X Men. The like two or three episodes that she kind of shows up where she's like Magneto's mouthpiece on uh, on Genosha, uh, oh, and, and and her like her burgeoning relationship with with Nightcrawler in that particular episode. Like, I loved that. Um, and then the episode later on in the series where, like, they return to Genosha for some reason, but then they, like, get pulled into, like, the Mojo-verse, and it's, like, them two, and they have to fight, like, this crazed Wolverine. Like, those two episodes are really good. 
Um, and not just because I love Nightcrawler, but like Scarlet Witch is really great in those episodes. Like she's super powerful, but she's not crazy. Like she has all the agency that she should have as a, as a, a living character, you know, in this fictional world. And it's great. Like she's really cool. And I also liked her in uh, X-Men Evolution. You know, I liked when she was like finally found and everything and like joined the Brotherhood and they were all afraid of her. Uh, but not because she was crazy, just because she was really strong and powerful and like didn't take any of their crap because she knew that they were like all of these members of the Brotherhood. They're all less than when compared to Wanda and she knew it. And like, that was fine. <laughs> yes. That's how I want her walking around. It's just like, no, I, I am the shit and you can deal with that. yeah they they really need to fix the retcon because from what i understand and i actually didn't read this series maybe you did and and you can like point me in the right direction but from what i understand is in the uncanny avengers ongoing series that was like the team that was like half x-men half avengers and it was led by rogue from what i can tell is like they actually gave wanda not necessarily a redemption arc but they like they had wanda's character atone for the whole like no more mutants thing and they like gave her an arc where she actually got closure from like all of that mental manipulation that she was undergoing at quicksilver's hand Uh, and i feel like maybe that would resonate a whole lot more especially with someone like me who just like i love x-men and like i would burn the rest of marvel down if it meant raising the x-men up uh so like I feel like that arc would resonate more with me if she were still a mutant, but then they had to go and do the whole retcon for, you know, petty stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It would make such a better story if it was kind of framed in a way of self destruction. If in saying no more mutants, she's also talking about herself um, because her powers have caused her a lot of issues. And when she's in those moments of just mental deterioration, those powers of being able to manipulate reality are not super helpful. Um, but when it becomes not, she's not part of the statements of no more mutants, then it turns into aggression rather than her own sort of self-destructive tendencies, which is very common when, you know, you're just in a dark place and she's had so many things go wrong for her. I, I totally understand. Like, you know, at that moment, she's not the, quote unquote crazy powerful woman, but she's just a person like at the absolute rock bottom. Um, and what bad decisions you might make in that place that anyone might make. Uh, but yeah, taking away her status as a mutant really just undercuts like how, how you can possibly come back from that. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. <laughs> so I'm like, what kind of X-Men stuff have you been up to? But let's just relive your whole, let's just relive your last podcast episode. <laughs> uh, that's all I've been thinking about since I wrote it. I I was on a Scarlet Witch deep dive and it doesn't take much for me to go there. So yeah, no, my, I'm always just sort of thinking about the Scarlet Witch somewhere in my brain. <laughs> uh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So outside of your your never ending obsession with uh, the Scarlet Witch, uh, what other kind of X Men stuff have you been up to? Have you picked up any new like collectibles or I don't know toys, clothing items, back issues, current issues, anything like that? 
Oh, yeah. So one um, that I was very excited about, I saw one of my best friends. Um, she's actually my oldest friend, probably best friend. And she got me, because she knows me very well, a the Magneto uh, Marvel Legends Uncanny X-Men Magneto figurine uh, that I was oh. so excited when I got it. Because I never buy like stuff like that for myself. I don't know why. I always look at them and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. But I never get it. So it's uh, proudly now displayed with all my other comic stuff. Um, and then other than that, I have been on, I was on a comic buying like Rampage for a minute. I had to stop because uh, my bank account was not super happy with, (laughs) with me. I think the crowning thing that I got, which I'm super excited about was, uh, the X-Men issue, uncanny X-Men issue with Polaris on the cover, her first uh, cover. I managed to, I was desperately bidding on eBay. Um, and I got it. So I'm super excited. It's, it's not even with my comics. It's on my main bookshelf in the house so that everyone has to see <laughs> walk in. Wow. Okay. All right. Is that, uh, I forget which, which issue that was. Was that, it was 49 or 50, right? It's the, the it's cover 50. where she, she's, it's like she's standing there. She's got, well, not standing there. She's like floating there, right? She has like one arm out and it's like all greenish and everything. It's like, oh gosh, is it, um, is yeah, it Jim Steranko was the artist? I yes, yeah. Yes. Oh man. Ooh, that that is awesome. I know. I was so excited <laughs> about it. I sent a picture of it to my friend. They said, Look what I just won on eBay. And I one, I just love the cover, even if there was nothing else about it that was important. But I just I love the cover. Obviously I love anyone related to Magneto. Um that's that's not even intentional. Um <laughs> But I, I just love them all. I love all of the House of M. And I saw that cover and I said, I have to have this one. I lost several other eBay options for it because, uh, everybody wants it. And yeah, it has, uh, the X-Men down at the bottom. They're all in green, just kind of, they look like they're cowering from her. And she has this cool yellow light behind her. And it's just, I love it so much. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> I would be too. I don't own, I, I think the oldest X book I own personally is like maybe Uncanny 133, the Wolverine Alone issue, uh, where like the, it's the, from during the Dark Phoenix saga where he's taking on like all the Hellfire Club goon people like in the cargo warehouse thing on the cover. Yeah. That's like the oldest. X-Men comic I own. Like, I don't own anything from the Silver Age, so, like, I'm immediately jealous. But, like, (laughs) of all the Silver Age books, like, that has to be, like, the number one book to get, because that is, I feel, well, uh, number one, obviously, but, like, other than number one, that would have to be it, because that is, like, that's, like, the most iconic cover from the Silver Age. So, that is awesome. Congratulations on acquiring that piece because that is so cool. Thank you. I, I'm so <laughs> thrilled about it. Um, but I do have a friend who has, I think, just got her last two issues of the first 10 issues of Uncanny X-Men. It's incredible. Just all 10 wow. now. <laughs> I know. That so, is cool. 
I know. I was like, oh, my God. And she, I saw her one day, and she's like, here they are. I'm like, I don't want to touch them. Keep them away from me. I, I'll just look from a distance and admire. <laughs> yeah, like, why is this not in a vault? <laughs> like, what are we What are we doing? This is just out? Like, yeah. even if they're bagged and boarded, like, that's not good enough. <laughs> I know. Lock those things away. Ask if you could have a special spot in Fort Knox. <laughs> wow, that is so cool. That is so cool. Yeah, the, so that's been my thing. And then I, I did feel, also get um, the first appearance of Mystique too in the uh, Miss Marvel series. Oh, nice. Was was that one written by Claremont by chance? It was. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember if if because I know that he like everyone is like, oh yeah, Chris Claremont, the X Men guy, but like he wrote like so many different like Avengers characters. He wrote like Iron Fist. I think he had. A stint on like Fantastic Four at one point, like he, it, like yeah, he was the architect of the X Men, sure, for like sixteen years, but like he was like all around in in Marvel. That's cool. Yeah, I know. I didn't even. Uh, I just was like, oh yeah, first appearance on the stage. That would be cool to have. And then it was after I bought it, I was like, oh my god, first time on. I didn't even know. And guess who else's face was on the cover? Wanda. I, Oh, oh, there you go. <laughs> I w- like I was gonna guess Rogue, even though I'm like I'm pretty sure Rogue comes like a lot later, but also in Miss Marvel, but like still way later. Yeah, okay. Wanda. All right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's thematically Noel. I love it. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I just like before we move on. I I just I love Polaris. I'm just gonna say that like. I feel bad about the whole, like, um, oh gosh, the malice, like the whole malice thing that went on. And then that like weird transformation that she underwent that was like kind of on the verge of like body horror, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but like, I, I love Polaris. I'm loving her in, in, in Krakoa so far. She's still on X Factor. I know that like after the vote and everything, she's like on the first X-Men team, which is great. But like, I love, I love Polaris. I love her in X Factor. Um, especially the like the first 20 issues that Peter David's on because he like he writes her insecurities so well but like in a way where she like takes them head on and allows herself to grow because of it which is really cool because like she kind of had the same thing that like happens to Wanda where it's not obviously not bad writing because it's Claremont but like a series of like really bad things happen to her that she really has no control over and it like it does things to her and she really gets to like deal with a lot of that trauma and stuff like firsthand and use it as a way to make herself better. So like I'm a huge Polaris fan. And of course, I loved Polaris in The Gifted. Um, Emma Dumont, I thought, did like just such a great job with uh, with Polaris and all the stuff that she she had to do over those two seasons. Like I'm a big fan of the, of the gifted series. I know like it wasn't really that great, but like, I loved it. Um, and Polaris was awesome. She is a great character. Cause she's so there's, there's like the, you know, the OGs, the like top tier characters in the X-Men, you know, the Magnetos and the Xavier's and Cyclops and Jean. And then there's all the other characters who have to deal with it. And like Polaris and like Havoc and who have to deal with like, the legacies and the decisions and the greatness of these other people that they have in their lives and have to kind of 
one kind of claw their way out of the shadows, but then also find themselves. And I think, um, you know, when, when tragic things happen to characters, it doesn't just have to be a plot point. It can be a place for them to grow. Like Magneto is the perfect example, Holocaust survivor, right? Who has that made him? How has it shaped his motivations and his understanding of the world? And so it's, it's a tragic element of his past, but it, you see how it has made him who he is. And like, I think Polaris is a good example of that too. Like, and also with Wanda, like they have these things, but it's how they deal with them. It's how they get to process their trauma. It's not just a story point. It's not just for fun. Like it's not just a bad thing happens to this person so that we can move on. And sometimes it does get left and nobody deals with it for a long time as far as writing goes. But when they do finally get to grow from it, they become this such a stronger character for it. And it, yeah, Polaris for sure fits that. Yes. Well, very cool picking up that issue. And of course, the, the figure that you got as well. Um, I have also been collecting some X-Men Legends. Um, in like fall of last year, Hasbro announced that they were going to start doing um, an X-Men the Animated Series line of the like the six inch scale figures. And mm-hmm. so far they've released four of them. Uh, the fifth one kind of like released like a week ago. And mine should be here tomorrow if it, you know, if the FedEx delivers it as it's scheduled. Uh, but so far they've released uh, Wolverine, Jubilee, Mr. Sinister. I just got my Storm maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. And then my Jean Grey should arrive tomorrow. So I've I've really enjoyed that. Uh, one of the cool things about these is uh, there's no plastic in the packaging and so the box that they come in is uh, designed to look like an old VHS tape, which is really cool. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the uh, the dude that they got to do the artwork, the guy they licensed to do the artwork, instead of gra- grabbing like a comic book artist um, or just some like sketch artist guy, they actually hired a dude named Dan Wiesenmeyer, who was one of the storyboard artists as well as one of the artists who did like all the licensed artwork for X-Men, the animated series back in the nineties. So it was cool that like they went back to that. Well, they got someone who, who was, you know, part of the art department for the show to do all the box art. It's, and it's really great. The, the VHS art style is, it's really cool looking. Okay. I just had to look it up because I had to see it. The Jean Grey one. And it, Oh my god, I love that. That is so cool. And the VHS, I love the old school stuff. That is so awesome. Yes, I think you would like the Storm action figure. She's really cool. She's got two normal hands, but then you can swap them out, and they're hands that are like shooting lightning out, which is pretty neat. Um, but the way they did the, it's I don't know if it's a cape, but like the thing, you know, like the trains that she has that go from like her wrist to her waist to her back, like that thing. Like it's it's actual like cloth and everything. It's really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Very um, relevant for today, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've been collecting the uh, the X-Men Legends animated series. And then um, I have my Morph action figure pre-ordered, but he's not supposed to uh, release until, like, December. And then I'm waiting on when the Mystique one will go up for pre-order. I'm really excited for the Mystique action figure because one of the accessories that she comes with is a little baby nightcrawler. <gasps> no. 
Yes. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. Are you going to like do some reenactments with it? <laughs> I'm sure that I'll just pose it and take a picture and like throw it up <laughs> on the Toxnick Discord and be done with it. But yeah, like I'm definitely going to display that one with Baby Nightcrawler. Like, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, so they've come with some good, like, Mr. Sinister didn't come with any accessory. He didn't even come with any extra hands or an extra head or anything like that. Like, Jubilee came with, like, two different heads, one uh, with, like, her sunglasses and her hair, and then the other one where, like, you can actually take her sunglasses off or put them on. And then she also came with, like, some of her little firework effects that go around her wrists and stuff. Um, But the, uh, and the Wolverine came with the, the photo of Scott and Jean, that he like rips up from oh the meme, God. you know, from that episode. Uh, so it, like it comes with that, so you can have him like laying down and you know longing for Gene and everything. Uh, but yeah, the the baby Nightcrawler so far is like that's the accessory like <laughs> gold medal right there. Right, whoever whoever came up with it won. Genius, give them a raise. But whoever signed off on it also deserves some credit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that's, so that's it so far. They've got, um, like I said, five out, one more, um, coming out in December and then another one that should be hitting pre-orders. Uh, I'm hoping that they'll release like Cyclops and Rogue and Gambit here soon, but, and Magneto, like we have Mr. Sinister and we're getting Mystique, but like no Magneto yet, no Apocalypse. Like, so I'm, I'm waiting for some more villains and stuff. <laughs> yeah. They need some representation too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so collecting those, um, and then as I was saying um, earlier before we actually started recording for the episode, um, still making my way through all the Krakoa stuff. So right now I'm right up, I think I'm like maybe three or four issues away from hitting the Hellfire Gala. So I'm really looking forward to that because I remember like seeing stuff about it on Instagram and like how big of a deal it was. And then, of course, like what it leads to with like the vote and bringing in like a, creating a new X-Men team. So like, I'm really looking forward to getting to that part in the uh, the Krakoa era. It seems like that's when things really start ramping up again. So, yeah, that's what I have. That's, I love, uh, yeah. I love the Hellfire Gala. It's, it's two very disparate loves of mine combined because I don't like awards shows, but I love watching what people are wearing. Like, the, <laughs> the whole red carpet thing for big events when I get to see all the dresses and stuff is, like, one of my favorite things in the world, strangely enough, um, so seeing that combined with the X-Men and going, oh, what is what is Emma going to wear and what's Rogue going to wear? And it's, it's such a weird thing, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that like Rogue would wear um, like a power dampening collar so that she can actually like have her skin out, you know, and like wear something just like super elegant and everything. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, she should. And then Emma has got the, the costume changes. That is perfect for Emma. Um, <laughs> she looks magnificent. <laughs> changes. So she is, I'm assuming then if you say costume changes that she's wearing like more than one episode or uh, what am I saying? Um, outfit? Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but I wouldn't <laughs> expect anyone to expect Emma to not go all out. So. Yeah, she has more than one look. I think I have the, I think I have the issues with at least one or two of her 
her outfits because, and they're of course the same issue, but I had to buy both versions because I was like, I cannot decide which one I like more. <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, so yeah, hearing that she has multiple multiple outfits, that is that's not surprising at all. Not for not Anna. at all. <laughs> no, I would be more surprised if she only had one. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, she would have to, at the very least, even if she was trying to only wear one, she would probably still have extras anyway in case someone arrived that would, like, show her up. That she'd be like, oh, well, I have to change. Like, I have to put something better on. But, like, just having this big event and just having, like, scheduled changes, like, that seems like what Emma would do. (laughs) Yes, 100%. And she's got it all planned out, and she's got the timing – Kind of like a choreographed, um, like, concert for, like, a famous singer, you know? Like, <laughs> this is when I stand here, and the floor's going to go down, and I come up in a new outfit. That's what I would expect <laughs> from Emma. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> that is on brand. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. So I can look forward to that. I, You were talking about Marauders earlier before we started recording. I totally forgot to, to put that one in, like, my list of favorites as well at this point because – Yes, like Emma is so good in that book, um, especially with like all the shade that th- she throws at Sebastian. Um, but like, just I'm like, I am loving Captain Kate. Like, Kate with her like hold fast tattoo or her uh, kill Shaw tattoos that she's got on her uh, on her knuckles, and then like the red coat. Like, I don't know, like that. It's that whole look and everything. Like this whole attitude and outlook that Kitty has right now. Like, it really works. <laughs> it does. It's like these. Uh, Emma, she's always been who she is. It's not necessarily a new route for her character. She's just fun to read and she's fun to see no matter what. But for Kate, like, yes, just watching her, like, realize who she is and just go for it and make her own decisions, whether anybody agrees with her or not. And being a captain, dressing like a pirate, I mean, the dream, truly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've I've really dug that one as well. <laughs> All right, so it sounds like we're up to a lot of really great X-Men stuff, and that's to be expected because X-Men is fantastic. And so, you know, it it whether it's toys or key back issues or issues that we're reading on Marvel Unlimited, like there's always going to be great X-Men stuff, and we can probably just keep talking for hours about all the fun X-Men stuff that we love. But we are here to talk about two episodes of X-Men the Animated Series. So, Noelle, if you're ready, I think we can get to our episode breakdown. All right. All right, so today we are going to do something different. This is a first on Snicktoons. We are covering two episodes in one show. So we are going to be covering X-Men the Animated Series Season 3, Episodes 12 and 13. And, Noelle, I've been calling these Savage Land Strange Heart because that's what they're listed as in my previously on X-Men book. But I noticed watching the episodes, they're called Savage Land Savage Heart. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) It, It works either way, honestly. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> it, it does. And There's some strangeness, very, very savage. You know, I like them both. Yes. 
But we are here to break down Savage Land, Savage Heart, episodes one and two. Uh, both of these episodes were written by Bob Skur and Marty Eisenberg, and they released back-to-back on September 10th and 17th of 1994. So the plan for this is we're just going to break them down. Uh, we're not, we don't necessarily need to stop in between. We'll just break both episodes down as one continuous story because like the way that it was written, that's how it plays out. So I think without further ado, Noel, you know the drill. Why don't you go ahead and kick us off with our episode breakdown? Awesome. So it starts out with Sauron fighting Khazar's people. And they've got some boulders and some trebuchets, and they are in the middle of attacking Magneto's old base, which I think Sauron has taken over at this point. And um, there's a pterodactyl fight, which I love. I If someone, like, presented <laughs> that to me as, like, something to watch, I'd be like, yeah, no, I don't think so. But watching it, I love it. I was all in. <laughs> I want a pterodactyl to ride around on. <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, so Khazar's trying to, like, take back the land and free his people from Sauron, who's getting weaker and weaker because he hasn't absorbed any power recently. And so as he weakens, he, like, he heads back into his his base. So you say, you know, Magneto's old base, Sinister's old base. It's, you know, just big kind of monolithic tower in, like, the middle of, like, a lake. Uh, he goes in there, and, of course, Khazar and his, like, troops... Um, you know, they, they come across this river, this moat thing, this lake, whatever it is. And Khazar is able to like climb in and actually like start going against Sauron in like hand to hand combat. And he eventually gets the upper hand because as you mentioned, like not only is Sauron weakening, but we're starting to see him like physically devolving. His wings at this point have shrunk down. So they almost just look like these little fin things hanging off of like his elbow area the like the you know the pterodactyl pointed head thing is like shrinking his beak is also starting to i don't know if beak's the right word for a dinosaur but it's whatever it is it's starting to shrink as well like he's taking on more of like a humanoid form uh, and like it that's enough where Kazar is able to get the upper hand and he throws Sauron to the ground and he's like jumping on him and suddenly uh, this woman appears and she like takes Kazar out from the back. She like hits him with some sort of a stun blast. And uh, she just kind of like tells Sauron, like, we got to get out of here. And she opens up like a staircase in the floor and they go down that way. And she introduces herself as Zaladane and that she's working for Garak. And of course, Sauron's like Garak, like that old legend, that's nothing. Um, and then she uses her power. And I don't even know what her powers are. But she uses them this time to, like, open, like, just a little, like, walkway that just goes outside into, like, the backyard of this castle thing. And there's, like, this weird rock that's, like, a face. And there's a little airplane thing. And as they're walking outside, by this point, Sauron has, like, completely reverted back to his human form. And Zaladane says, like, you have to get out of here and, like, take this little, like, medallion thing that's also a face and, like, get into this ship that Magneto left and, like, leave. And he does. And I did write down, I like, he gets into this little, like, purple aircraft thing. And, like, he engages the autopilot. And it pulls up, like, four destinations. And it was, like, Los Angeles, Houston, New York, and then Asteroid M. So I liked the little, like, Asteroid M uh, Easter egg in there. That was fun. 
Yeah, I wrote down all four of those, too. <laughs> I have to mention Saladin's outfit because she's got she's in this she's in red, of course, you know, I have to love her. Um, and she's got this gold like mohawk headpiece and a feather with shoulder, uh, or a cape with feather at the shoulders and two bright red streaks in her hair, yellow lipstick, which is a weird choice, but I love it. And then gold boots just to finish off the look. But she looks incredible. I read an article that was really dissing her and I have to disagree. I think she looks amazing and I might love her. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll we'll add this to your list of uh, un- unapologetic standing. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Solely for her outfit. On point to me. I love it. <laughs> well, and she seems powerful, you know, so there's that, too. Yeah, she's got she's got control of magic. She's, you know, she's she's not explaining herself. She's giving orders. I, I respect that. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, we uh, we cut into New York City. So we're like, we're assuming that that's where he's headed, but instead we actually get the, uh, the introduction of our X-Men characters. So they're finally reminding us like, Oh yeah, that's right. This is a, this is an X-Men cartoon and here's a couple X-Men for you. Yeah. But we, first we see a quick sign of the New York comic con with the tagline enough said. So that's a cool. Oh dang. I missed that. Looks like a little <laughs> Easter egg. Yeah. I was so awesome. excited. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently somewhere as all of this chaos is going on, Comic-Con is also going on as well. <laughs> that, <laughs> but that more relevant, nice. yes, but more <laughs> relevant to the story, Storm and Rogue are just cruising around, riding some horses in Central Park, which I didn't know that was a thing you could do, but maybe it's not for regular people, but it is for Rogue and Storm. And Rogue is all cowgirled out. She's got button-up shirt, jeans, cowboy hat. She looks amazing. And then Storm, of course, is much more prim and proper. And she's in, I don't know if this is English, but to me, it's like an English lady outfit. She's got a blue uh, coat, suit, shirt thing on. And a I don't know what kind of hat. I can't describe any of these clothes, but a blue little hat. And she looks very fancy. So they are riding around, and Rogue's riding her horse really fast, of course, and she tells Storm that a gal's got to let loose now and again. And Storm, importantly, remember this for later, says that she admires Rogue's spirits and her, you know, kind of carefree attitude, but she herself has to keep her emotions in check because of her powers. She can't risk letting go because who knows what will happen. And Rogue says, uh, maybe a little raging will be good for you. And races off, and Storm takes off after her on her horse and takes off her hat and kind of, like, looks like she's throwing it into the air, and they ride off. It's a really cute scene. <laughs> it kind of sounds like she stole that from Cyclops, though. That's true. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, I'm just teasing. <laughs> But, like, that's his whole thing, like, no, uh, stay in control, you know, the easy Scott baby, don't lose control, like, that's his thing. Yeah, I actually didn't, (laughs) you know, I I, I bought into it for the episode, but I was like, is that a thing for Storm? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they kind of dial it up for the the show, right? But, like, Storm always seems to be at her best when she's, like, most in touch with nature, so... 
I guess in this case, they're just kind of building in, like, she might sometimes be a little too in touch with nature, so. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that will be important. But, you know, after that fun scene with the gals riding their horses, we're then taken into the subway, so it's like, hey, you know, beautiful outside park, and then, you know, subterranean you know, cement trap with a, you know, metal, whatever. So we see Carl Lycos, you know, going full vampire here and like grabbing some dude and like starting to absorb his energy. And he like, he's not happy about it, which I guess is cool. Like, I'm glad they're throwing some like sympathetic stuff in there for him. Uh, but he, he takes this guy's energy and then like goes up to the street and he starts walking towards a museum that is having a showing of like prehistoric dinosaurs. It maybe it actually said like a time period. It was like Cretaceous, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was something like that. And then we go into the museum, not with Carl Lycos, but we just are taken into the museum. And we actually see that three other X-Men are here on a field trip. We have the lovable beast, and then we have <laughs> Jubilee and, and Wolverine, who are just like nonplussed that they're at this museum, and there's all this history and uh, opportunities to learn, and they just like could not care less. Why is he at the museum with them? Like, if I was going to pick, if I was going to line up the X Men and say, who am I going to go to the museum with? It is not these two. They are bottom of the list, both. <laughs> yeah, I'd no, rather go I, alone. <laughs> I agree. It's so uh, uh, last season there was an episode where Beast was at the muse at an art museum alone. Um and he's like I feel bad because he's just like kind of like corners this lady and starts talking to her about art and it's very obvious that she's super uncomfortable that like a mutant guy, this blue fuzzy dude who's like not even wearing clothes, just like a, a trench coat and underwear is like telling her about art. So I mean at least this time he has some friends with him, you know, that he can talk at <laughs> instead of like an unsuspecting stranger. But yeah, like Wolverine and, and Jubilee, absolutely like at the, the bottom of that list. Like he could have at least taken Gambit. Like, like Gambit probably would have at least had like a wisecrack remark or maybe would have listened to Beast a little bit. But like Jubilee yeah. just can't be bothered and, and neither can Wolverine. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just laughing to myself really hard about this. What are you, what are all three of you doing? How did you two agree? How did you decide to take them? What, what was happening earlier this day that you guys ended up there together? I would think that like Wolverine and Jubilee wanted some exercise of some sort. And so Beast is like, I'll do that with you, but only if you come to the museum with me. Um <laughs> Like, I yeah. feel like there was probably some sort of blackmail, that, and that's why those two are there with him. <laughs> uh, but either way, <laughs> like, either way, they've had their fill. And so they, they leave the museum, and I think Beast throws out the Shakespeare line, because, like, Jubilee is, like, not even grateful that they were at the museum. And so he throws out um, how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child, which is probably, like, the truest thing that Shakespeare ever said. Um, which I, I feel like I can say that as a dad from King Lear, but like, I just love it. Like, I just, I, I want to say I miss nineties beast. Like we have not had beast in the comics as cool as this version of beast since the Morrison run, maybe, or astonishing from Whedon and Cassidy, like beast since 
the early 2000s has just been awful. I hate Beast. <laughs> but, like, I just I love Cartoon Beast. He's so awesome. He's so great. He says, like, all the best things. He's just such a lovable guy. Uh. <laughs> I know. It's it's a... Uh... It's kind of sad to watch because it's like, oh, this is this is who you are. This is who you could be. Why do we have to have the monster version? <laughs> oh man. Either way, so they're leaving the museum and uh, they see a hot dog vendor. So Wolverine goes over and he's ordering hot dogs for himself and Jubilee. And this is where Carl Lycos catches up with you know with the X Men, and he he he's like. He's craving more energy, but he doesn't want to take any, but he can't help himself anymore once he senses, like, how much energy is coming off Wolverine. He's like, I just, like, I got to get me some of that. I got to get some of that. <laughs> so he walks over, and he, like, grabs Wolverine's face, and he starts absorbing his energy, and unfortunately, he realizes too late it's a mutant. And it turns out that it's mutant energy, when he absorbs it, that turns him into Sauron. And so that's... What happens? He he absorbs Wolverine's energy and then immediately turns into Sauron and like takes to the sky. Yeah, and I I usually don't go back to the comics when I'm watching the episodes, but I did for this one, and I always wondered why he used the name Sauron because that's a Tolkien <laughs> name. And then I went and read the issue where he first shows up, and he literally just took the name from Tolkien's uh, bad big bad. Sauron. <laughs> yes. I did not know that. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I like Carl Lycos might be my like low key favorite Marvel character just because he's a Tolkien head. Like I love that about him. I wonder how he would feel about like the upcoming Amazon series, but I don't want to get into it. I'm just curious oh, yeah, how like, <laughs> I'm curious what like what a Tolkien scholar would feel, but either way, yeah, it's like I can't think of a worse name for anything in history than than Sauron. It's like I don't know, Lucifer is pretty bad, like, but okay, Sauron, sure, he's worse. Sauron, yeah, I love it. Oh uh, yeah, I'm a big Tolkien fan, so I was like, what? I kind of yeah, I like you more now. And then he, uh, yeah, so he flies off, and then. Beast, like, radios to Storm and Rogue and was like, we have a situation. So Storm starts chasing, she leaves her horse, I guess, and she does this very dramatic transformation into her Storm outfit. Um, I don't know why I'm so focused on outfits today. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> she flies off into the air after Sauron, and he sees her and he goes, oh, no, the weather witch. And she summons the Arctic winds, and it seems like it's going to be a pretty easy battle for her. Uh, but then he, Rogue has also joined at some point, and he hypnotizes Rogue uh, with little pink light out of his eyes. And Rogue starts seeing all of her friends as, like, evil monsters. So Storm, to her, looks like a scary witch. Um and she has to, Storm now has to fight off both Sauron and Rogue. Um, and she pulls him into a little tornado and Rogue gets blown away. And then Sauron manages to hypnotize Storm as well. And it kind of like knocks her out. So she starts falling through the sky. Sauron catches her and flies away with her. 
Yes. And uh, I do want to point out, kind of like how you pointed out the New York Comic Con that I had missed, um, when he flies by one of the buildings, I think it's after he's got hold of Storm, there's like two guys in there that look like artists. And I'm pretty sure that one of those is supposed to be Larry Houston, who is the director of like all of these episodes. Oh, really? I did not catch that. Yeah, there's there are two dudes and like I didn't recognize one of them, but like the other one very much so looks like uh, Larry Houston in, you know, circa 1994. Like that's what he looked like back then. So I'm pretty sure that was him um, like at the uh, I get Marvel Studios, I guess, or, or Marvel headquarters, which is weird because like they wrote the show in L.A., but whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So after he takes off with Storm. Uh, the rest of the X-Men, I like that it's like just quick succession, right? Like they get together with Rogue, they get back to the mansion and they hop in a black, in the Blackbird and they head off to the Savage Land because if Sauron's heading somewhere, it can only be the Savage Land. And I think he like got in his own aircraft and flew back to like, he's not flying back to Antarctica from New York on like the power of his own wings. Um, but yeah, the X-Men, they just, they get in the Blackbird and they head off. I think they, there's like a little throwaway line that, uh, Professor and the rest of them are on Muir Island because like Gene has, they, they found Gene alive after the whole Phoenix debacle, which is cool. I like that they, they start explaining where people are now. No one ever explains where Gambit is though. He's always missing in action. <laughs> and they never say why. Who knows what he's up to though? Like they they started giving us explanations though, like in the uh, in, in an episode during season two where they go to Russia for um with, with the Omega Red and Colossus stuff. Jubilee mentions like, oh yeah, Cyclops and Beast and Gene are in Washington D.C. talking to the Senate and Xavier's Miz. Like they start explaining where people are at the beginning of season three. Rogue's not around, and like Cyclops actually like points out the fact that like. Well, Rogue's on a secret mission, and so she can't come with us into space. But, like, no one ever is like, where's Gambit? I don't know. Like, it's just, he's just not there, and that's fine. I know. He's like, yeah, whatever. He's not here. Everyone else requires an explanation, but we don't know where Gambit is, and no one bothered to find out, I guess. (laughs) I just love it. It's so good. Um, yeah, and so um, we get back to the Savage Land, and this is where Sauron begins, like, brainwashing through hypnosis, I guess. Uh, he starts, like, brainwashing Storm to to set her free, you know, to, to pretty much, like, I don't know, giving her permission to, to let loose and to like lose control. Cause like, like she had mentioned with rogue, like she's always, she always has to be in control. And so he, he hypnotizes her to be like, forget it. I'm going to lose control. I'm going to go all out. Uh, before we see all of that stuff play out though, of course the X-Men arrive via Blackbird to Antarctica. And as they're flying to their landing zone, uh, Jubilee's like looking out the window and she sees in the ground, there's like this weird face and uh, so she asks, you know, like, what's that weird face thing? And uh, both Wolverine and Beast are like, oh, yeah, that's Garak. Like, he's a uh, he's part of, like, the, the religion of the people that live here. Not religion, but, like, he's like this old myth kind of thing that, like, some of the people that live here, like, kind of still worship, like, the idea of Garak. And she's like, oh, that sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> and Jubilee does not care. Like, that's Jubilee. <laughs> 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 And then, 
is it after that that Storm like kind of like gets set free and she starts glowing and there's all this light and lightning and she says uh oh and then Sauron kind of like goes after her and absorbs her energy and he's like I'm more powerful than ever so he kind of sees her as like this uh a limitless energy source. Yes. Yeah, I like that like idea that she's almost like a living battery for for so, like someone who absorbs life energy and like looking at Storm and being like, holy cow, like this chick is limitless. Like, that's awesome. Like, if you ever needed validation of how powerful Storm is like, yeah, she's limitless, man. Like she is as strong as Mother Nature. And like, that's there's no limit to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they got it right in that for sure. <laughs> yes. And uh, no, no, please go ahead. Yeah, so then the X-Men uh, or Beast and the rest have to find her. He has a scanner that's set to her genetic frequency, which to me seems a little creepy. Like, seems very <laughs> Xavier to have, like, trackers based on everyone's, gene- everyone's genetics. Uh, don't love it, but I guess it's convenient right here. <laughs> so then Rogue flies off to go look for Storm, and Wolverine and Jubilee go off together. And they come across a T-Rex. Which Beast tries to ride, but he gets thrown off, and Rogue has to swoop in and save him because he is not—he's not ready for that. Um, and it doesn't look good with the T-Rex, but luckily Kazar just leaps out of a tree out of nowhere and has a leather like rope that he puts in the T-Rex's mouth to like ride it and leave it away, lead it away. Yeah, he like steers the sharp tooth into like a ravine, like a like a trap or something that they've like a big hole that they've dug, you know, and just like yeah. and like has it run in there, and he's like, all right, well that's that. <laughs> yeah, they just have those like, oh, uh, it's a T Rex day. Everyone get it to the pit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is the drill that they have, you know, like the the sharp tooth is coming, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, yes. So then he he takes the X. He's like, oh, cool. The X-Men are here. What's up, guys? Like, let's go back to the village and I'll fill you in on what's going on. Uh, so he does. He, he he brings them back and he, he f- gives them like the rundown of pretty much everything that's happened since the X-Men, uh, you know, whipped Sinister and uh, like kind of left Sauron in control. Um, and basically, Sauron just kind of took control of Sinister slash Magneto's old Citadel thing. And uh, they came in and they kidnapped a bunch of uh, like Kazar's countrymen. Uh, I think he does mention that there's like at least a small battle at one point. And the next morning, like in the village, there's like a Garrock head stone statue thing. And so like people started worshiping Garrock again because they thought that it was Garrock that like scared Sauron away. But Ultimately, like, he still, Sauron still kind of came in and, like, kidnapped, like, half the people from the village. Um, yeah, not not super great at stopping everything. And then I was wondering at the beginning of the episode, I was like, wait, how is the, how's the fortress, like, intact? Because I remember it exploding a lot <laughs> uh, in the other episodes. And so he used Kazar's people as slave labor, just in case anyone was not sure if he's a bad guy at this point. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Kidnapping, like, we can look past that. That happens all the time. Um, but, yeah, it's the the, the, the forced, what is it? I forget what Grandmaster 
refers to them, un, unpaid forced labor or something like that, where it's like he tries to skirt around the word. <laughs> yeah, let's just not say slave. <laughs> that sounds really bad. <laughs> yes. Like, and then, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, it's even worse when you know what you're doing, and then you're like, nah, eh, we're going to do it anyway. We'll just call it something pretty. Yeah, yeah. It's one thing if, like, I don't know, you come from a world where you don't know what slave labor is, and you come up with this weird roundabout name for it, but you're from this one. You know exactly what it is and what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and then... um after they have their little meeting around the campfire, Jubilee gets a Savage Land outfit because she got pushed into a mud pit or something earlier on. And a bunch of guys riding some other type of dinosaur that are, like, smaller. I wanted to call them Velociraptors, but they don't look like Velociraptors. Do you have any idea what these are? Um, I'm, because I'm a big Jurassic Park fan, and so I remember that they had, like, these two-legged dinosaurs that were really fast called Gallimimus, so I'm just going to say that. Um, But imagine that I said it with more confidence. (laughs) All right. And pretend I don't – I know how to say that um, because a bunch of guys writing those come in and attack the village. And Jubilee manages to get carried off by a pterodactyl. Uh, Rogue goes after her, and she also gets snatched up by another pterodactyl. And then Wolverine does the best thing in the whole episode – he runs over to Beast and says, mix me up a fastball special. And Beast <laughs> throws him into the air so he can knock one of the pterodactyl riders off. And he can ride a pterodactyl. Um, and then Jubilee does manage to save herself from the pterodactyl rider. So she does one good thing so far in the episode. <laughs> and then Sauron shows up again and he headbutts Rogue. Um, she slides off, he chases her, and she's leading him, like, uh, like, above where, um, the tropical weather is, so that, sorry, my audio messed up right there. All good, all good. (laughs) Yeah, so Rogue is flying up above the clouds to where it's cold, they're out of, like, the tropical zone, and he, Sauron starts to get cold and he has to like flee back into the warm weather again. And Rogue goes after him, but she has learned her lesson because she grabs him and she shuts her eyes so that he can't hypnotize her. Um, but unfortunately he's able to like throw her off and escape again. But he's also getting weaker because he hasn't absorbed anyone's power recently. And so Wolverine comes up on his pterodactyl and it's just a whole mess of everyone trying to go after Sauron and not being able to because Sauron zaps the or absorbs the pterodactyl's energy and flies away again. Jubilee does go after him on her pterodactyl and for the most part she is just missing like she's not a good shot Um, but she finally does hit him and she is a surprised as I was, to see her manage that. She's like, oh, my God, that worked. <laughs> and it seems like she saves the day because Sauron falls to the ground and Jubilee shoots, like, a wall of rock and it comes down and crushes Sauron. 
And it's like Zaladane was like watching the whole battle in like a crystal ball because at this moment we, we cut to her and she unleashes Storm at this point. Like Storm, you know, she was hypnotized a little bit earlier, brainwashed even to, to allow herself to, uh, you know, just lose control. Um, and I, I would assume that Zaladane was doing a little bit more kind of mind control stuff here, but she, she unleashes Storm. And right before this episode ends, the we cut back to the X-Men and the X-Men stumble across Carl Lycos. So Jubilee knocked the uh, rocks down on top of him. And that was enough, I guess, to sap the last of his energy. He's reverted back to Carl Lycos and Kazar like immediately recognizes him. He's like, hey, Carl, like, where you been? Um, and he's like, I, I'm not sore on anymore, but I. I like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about everything. Like, arrest me, do it, do worse, you know, like, I'm the bad guy here. And, uh, before we really kind of get any, uh, closure on, you know, Carl Lycos and Sauron being in the Savage Land, Storm finally arrives and she's ready to let loose and it goes to to be continued. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> and I love uh like watching them one right after the other because the next episode starts the exact same way. We just see all of the lightning, storms flying mm-hmm. in, she is free as can be, and she says, Rage wins, your mistress craves more and back with the X Men, Kazar tells them that this is because Sauron has hypnotized her into losing her control. And honestly, I just have to say, I really love Storm like this. And she seems like she's having a good time. And there's that meme of, I support women's rights, but more importantly, I support women's wrongs. And I really, <laughs> I really felt that here at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Storm is living it up. I love it. And, uh, immediately Jubilee on her pterodactyl flies up to, uh, you know, try to reason with Storm, you know, to try to kind of take her down. And I, I don't even remember what Storm does. She just like kind of blows her off the pterodactyl. And like, that's, that was that. Like it was like, it, it was nothing, you know, like not even an yes. afterthought. It's just here she comes, there she goes. Yeah. And it was even worse. Because Jubilee said, oh, well, I beat Sauron, so Storm's going to be a piece of cake. And I'm like, you are so dumb. You can't even excuse this with youth. Like, Storm is, one, she's already, like, extremely powerful. But right now she is on another level. And Jubilee has, like, sparklers. Like, I I was like, oh, my, you deserve whatever happens to you right now. It, it's also funny because like the episode right before these two parts was the long shot episode, which, which, you know, Jubilee is very prominent in that episode. And there's a scene where Jubilee is like coming to the rescue and she totally copies storms like at the beginning of like in, in Night of the Sentinels where like Jubilee first meets Storm and Storm is like yelling at the Sentinel and she's like, I Storm. Mistress of the Elements commands you to release that child, you know, with like all this, like, I don't like just authority, just like nothing short of like absolute authority. And like in the long shot episode, Jubilee 
tries to emulate that. So it's like we know that Jubilee looks up to Storm and realizes like how important and powerful she is. And yet here we go. She's like, oh, well, I beat Sauron. So Storm's a piece of cake. It's like, no, you know how awesome she is. Oh, well. (laughs) Oh, I know. I was I was so mad. And then um, and then there's a part. Oh, yeah. Storm like also causes like a bunch of waves. And they start like going up onto the land where there's a bunch of other dinosaurs, and we almost get um, a land before time Littlefoot moment because his little baby are they brontosauruses? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it gets like swept away, and I'm like, oh my god, she's gonna kill the baby Littlefoot, but luckily the mama saved him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Land Before Time was the first movie that made me cry. <laughs> Uh, when I was like, I don't know, four years old or something. Um, and it wasn't when Littlefoot's mom is killed by the sharp tooth. It's when the little pterodactyls are like trying to offer him their like berry and he won't eat it because he's like so just depressed and desolate. Like that oh. part when I was like four, like that part just made me so sad. Uh, oh God, that. I don't know how, you know, everyone likes to talk bad about millennials, but that was what we experienced as children. Like, this was the entertainment that they gave us. Like, oh, my God, that was the worst. I I don't even know. I feel like I haven't watched it in a long time, but I feel like if I did watch it now, even though I know what's going to happen, I'm still going to cry. I'm going to cry when his mom dies. I'm going to cry when he won't eat because that, you're right, is devastating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too much. Oh. So anyway, so X Men. <laughs> X Men. Back to X Men. Back out of the tragedy. Back out of the trauma. Zaladane is talking to the Garrock statue again, and it's talking now. And Garrock tells her that he's growing stronger because Storm's power has been unleashed. And then the statue explodes. And, it, like, first I thought it was turning into, like, a liquid, but it, like, kind of, the pieces of it kind of, like, sunk into the ground, and everything around it starts turning into this, like, dark, kind of, like, shiny stone. And then in the distance, we get a little foreshadowing because the volcano starts erupting. Oh, nice. I didn't notice that. That's cool. Yeah. And then the X-Men and Kazar are like, what do we do? Everything's a mess. Storm is out of control, and I think everyone is very aware they can't stop her. Um, and they start to feel an earthquake, which they think is also Storm. And I think Beast says something like, oh, my God, has Storm, like, thrown her powers into being able to cause earthquakes? But it just turns out to be a dinosaur stampede. Uh, which they are luckily able to dodge as they all run into a cave and the dinosaurs run past them. Wolverine makes a joke about rush hour. And <laughs> <laughs> Carl Lycos volunteers to absorb Storm's energy in order to stop her. And Wolverine's like, um, that's going to mean you'll be Sauron again. But Beast is on Lycos' side and he says, um, you know, Lycos has had multiple chances at this point to absorb the energy from any of them. 
like if he wanted to really turn into Stor- Sauron and Lycos is like, please let me do this. I want to fix the mess that Sauron made. By becoming Sauron again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, like it's good intentions. Like I totally get where he's coming from and uh, I, I understand like Beast taking his side. And it's true. Like they've beaten Sauron. Can they beat Storm? I don't know. Probably not. So it, this might be their best. I mean, like Jubilee can take down Sauron at this point. So <laughs> is it really worth the risk? Uh, but you mentioned right. Wolverine's joke, and I totally forgot in the first episode that Rogue has, like, a Bugs Bunny moment where Sauron <gasps> shows up, oh and God. she's like, oh, he must have taken a wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> yes. I don't know how I forgot to mention that, too, because I was so excited about that joke, and it was funny because I was um, <laughs> making my boyfriend watch the episodes with me, and he was getting back to pause and write things down. But I, he said something. He's from New Mexico. And he said, oh. Oh, everyone only knows about Albuquerque and New Mexico from Breaking Bad because we're also rewatching that. And I said, that's oh, a Bugs nice. Bunny joke. And he was like, what? I'm like, I'm <laughs> sorry. Did you not watch the Looney Tunes? <laughs> I know that you mentioned before that he's not like as nerdy, you know, per se as, as you and I, but that, that's shameful. <laughs> like he didn't know. Come on, a Bugs Bunny. I know. So he should be very sad that I admitted that on your show because, yeah, he, he, the Bugs Bunny joke went over his head. Oh, dang. I don't know. But Breaking Bad, gosh, what a great show. But yeah, that's, that's way over the, <laughs> that's way over the heads of my audience for Snicktoons. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, man. And then I think Rogue also volunteered, just to, like, go back to how powerful Storm is. Rogue also volunteered to absorb Storm's power, but they were like, uh, then we're just going to have you running amok with her power. So that's not solving any problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think ultimately, though, they, they decide, like, yeah, it's Lycos is our best chance, and so... Rogue takes him up there uh, so that he can absorb Storm's energy, which he absorbs enough uh, that he does transform back into Sauron. And then uh, it's enough to incapacitate Storm, um, even temporarily. And so while Rogue, like, she catches Storm, and while she's holding Storm, like, uh, not like us anymore, Sauron is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get more mutant energy. This is going to be awesome. And like he goes to absorb Rogue's energy and it kind of like it kind of seems like there's like some feedback there and like they both kind of just like separate from each other they seem to be like shaken up a little bit maybe not necessarily hurt but like shocked enough of what happened that Sauron flies off and it allows Rogue enough time to like to get back to the X-Men and just kind of tell him like I don't know like I guess our absorbing powers like canceled each other out and uh, and they they head back to the village. Yeah, and she says it was real weird, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's so quantifiable. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And then Garrock's power is still, like, kind of spreading, so more and more of the island is turning into that stone, and it's real dark. It's darker than anything else. Um, and the X-Men gets Storm back to the village to recover. And um, Beast asks Rogue what happened when she and Sauron were, like, you know, trying to absorb each other. 
And she said that one word kept going through her head, and it was Zaladane. And Kazar's like, oh, I know who that is. She is the high priestess of Garok. <laughs> so now he's, like, putting all the pieces together. He's like, oh, great. Garok and Sauron together. <laughs> yeah, not fun. Yeah. Um, and let's see, I think. Is this where Storm wakes up and she's like, we have to destroy Garak, and then they have to sedate her? Or am I skipping forward? Yes. Okay. No, yeah, that's it. Because she's like, she can tell nature is, like, something's wrong with nature. You know, just going back to that, like, her connection to Earth and everything. She's like, there's an evil in the land. Um, and she she finds, she actually runs out of the hut and goes to the statue of Garak, and she shoots a bunch of lightning at it so it explodes. And then Kazar's people who've been worshipping it are now mad <laughs> and go to attack her, but she you know, sends a gust of wind to blow them all away. Um, and Rogue tries to help Storm, but Storm does the same thing to her. And yeah, Beast shoots a sedative in her arm again. <laughs> Storm. Yeah. Like, she does deserve a nap, though. Like, she's been through a lot. So, you know, <laughs> recovering <laughs> yeah. a little bit isn't uh, isn't too bad. Uh, in the meantime, like, Sauron returns to Zaladane. And I like that he lands and, like, he immediately starts ordering her around, you know, rally the troops. We got to take it back to Kazar's village and, and take everyone. And she's just like, no, nah, you know, I don't work for you, dude. Like, get out of here. Like, you're so – like, you're last week's news. Like, you're, you're an afterthought. No one cares about you. Like, you were a tool that – Garrock used and like we we don't have any use for you anymore like just get out of here yes your part is done um and then like he tries to fight her anyway because you know what else are you going to do if if someone's telling you that you're useless now um i guess the the only option is to then try to like fight them and force them to to do what you want them to do um and immediately the Garrock statue that's there even though it had already been like absorbed into the ground there's like a different one um and it it like grabs sauron and like prevents him from fighting against zaladane and he like garak himself is starting to talk to sauron and he's like no no, no it's like this is all legit like it's me garak i'm real and <laughs> and he's like no you're not you're not real um and he's like that's weird because i'm holding you like i'm and i'm talking to you but okay uh, but then he, like, goes into his origin. I love when villains do this. They're like, oh, well, now that you're here, I might as well monologue to you my entire backstory. Uh, I would have a captive audience. <laughs> yeah. It's a podcaster's dream, you know, like, that's what Garrock knew. He should just <laughs> podcast in the Savage Land. Uh, yeah. But he tells him, he's like, you know, a timeless amount of, like, an amount of time ago that is unquantifiable, I was here and it's like, it shows him standing like at the top of a cliff, like shooting lasers at like dinosaurs. It's like, is that like, you, wow, dude, you're super powerful. <laughs> like, look at you scaring the dinosaurs. <laughs> like, woohoo, uh, real scary. Uh, but anyway, so he's like, he's this powerful dude who's in control of the, the dinosaurs in the savage land. And then randomly some dude shows up and just like imprisons him in a rock. Yeah. Very, very short. I kind of, I was like, okay, I, I want more to this story because it looks like the high evolutionary. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And like knowing 
what we know about the Savage Land from the comics, like, yeah, we can assume that that's the High Evolutionary. It looks like him. But I do believe that, like, the High Evolutionary comes back later on in, like, next season. I think actually during the, like, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver episode. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I don't so know the, what the, the High Evolutionary is like, for. I'm going to put you in the rock for no reason. There you go. <laughs> You're done. And it seems like he was stuck in there, like stuck in the rocks of the Savage Land. And I don't know, this really wasn't explained or anything, but it seems like Mr. Sinister kind of being absorbed into the land, like we awakened him or like brought him back somehow. I don't know. But it was Storm's power that like finally sets him free and like gives right. him all of his power back. And we learned that it was all Garrock who came up with the plan to send Sauron to New York to find Storm specifically. I don't know how I knew about Storm, but, oh, maybe because they've been there before. Right, yeah. Um, at the very end of season two, she was one of the X-Men that came to the Savage Land. And so, like, he's been obsessed with Storm ever since, I guess. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. <laughs> And he reveals that the volcanoes of the Savage Land are, like, connected to this energy or their energy is used to create the power that maintains the Savage Land. And he's going to take it over to, I guess, reclaim his former glory, ruling over the dinosaurs. (laughs) I just love that. He's like, I was so powerful. And he's just, like, shooting lightning and the dinosaurs are just, like, running around in circles. It's like, uh-huh, like, yep. What? Poor dinosaurs are so confused. Like, lasers, I think, are far beyond what they can understand. <laughs> yeah, but, like, so now that Garrock has told us all about his backstory, now it's time to put his plan into play, and he, like, he finally unleashes his might. You know, he's, like, absorbed enough of whatever it is that he's needed where he could start, like, putting his plan into play into play. And so he starts transforming the savage land. Uh, you start seeing, cause you had mentioned that like when the statue originally went into the ground, it kind of like changed into this different kind of rock. It almost looks like crystal, like, you know, crystallizing. Uh, and so he starts doing that to like other parts of the savage land and his like influence is growing and growing. Uh, by this point, the X-Men kind of notice, and Storm herself is awake again, and she, like, immediately begins to fight back. Uh, and then as Beast is watching everything that's going on, he's kind of realizing that, like, the all the stuff that, like, Garrock is transforming in the ground and all this stuff, it's, like, moving closer to the volcanoes, and... Beast is like, oh, he must be trying to go over to the volcanoes to get, like, the energy from him. Yeah, starting to figure out what's going on. And Storm's kind of running amok. And they're like, uh, wait, you think you're making it worse? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it turns out that she is because, like, at this point, Garrock gets enough power that he starts to take, like, a corporeal form. Like, he starts to form a body out of, like, the Savage Land itself. Like, the rocks of the Savage Land are coming together to form, 
like a, a body, but it's not just like a regular size body. It's like a Godzilla size body. And so I guess Sauron like flies over and absorbs his energy and also becomes a giant kaiju. And then <laughs> it, like, this is the weirdest finale for a two part story. Cause it's like, then it's, we get like a minute of these two kaijus battling each other. And then eventually Sauron, like, Sauron beats Garak, and, like, that's it. That's it. I know. I'm glad you described <laughs> them as kaijus, because that's exactly what I wrote down, because I was like, I don't know how else to describe this. Yeah. And they just sort of, like, yeah, the end, I had such a hard time writing my notes, because it just kind of goes off the rails. We've got these giants, and then somehow they're they're done. You know, I guess I guess they cancel out like Sauron and Rogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My notes are the two have a kaiju battle question mark, and then <laughs> in the aftermath, like I don't even like they just they fight and then they're done fighting and then the episode goes into like closure mode and then it's over. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's so fast. It it seems like I was like towards the end of this episode, I was like, I know this is two parts. But it feels like this is going to run into a three-part. But no, no, they just fight, and it's done. Garak, I, I don't know if he's dead or he's just going to wait a couple thousand more years and come back again. And Sauron is now Carl Lycos again. Yeah, I mean, the good news is the X-Men leave, and so there's no more mutants on the Savage Land, which would probably make Wanda happy, right? Um <laughs> Uh, and so Kazar's like, yeah, since there's no more mutants, like, you're, you're cool. Like, you'll just stay Carl Lycos and, and you can live with us. And cause we all, we all like Carl, you know, Carl's a nice guy. Uh, and like, that's kind of the end of his story. So, I mean, I guess like, it's nice that he gets a happy ending after all the evil that he caused, especially cause it wasn't really his fault. Um, but yeah, we get, we do check back in with Garrock like one last time. And this time it's just the, the like head statue thing again, only it's like fallen over and he's talking to Zaladane and he's like, I was so close. And you know, that's it. <laughs> that's it. And then we don't know what Zaladane's up to anymore, but she's still taking, but does she have powers now? Because it seemed like they mostly came from Garrett. I don't know. Lots of questions right now, but then we get <laughs> <laughs> the last minute of storm on the blackbird talking to rogue and Storm's, like, kind of embarrassed and feels bad about what she did. But she also said that she's never felt so free before. And I was like, good for you. Good for you, Storm. <laughs> and she liked it, you know, so that's that's good. Yeah, so I think it'll be – I was kind of disappointed because I wanted I wanted Storm to solve the problem, but she just couldn't. Her, her powers were the problem. Or causing the problem in the savage land, but I think it's more of a a personal journey for Storm that maybe she doesn't have to be so so just uh, locked down. So hopefully she learns that here. Yes, she realizes like how wide of a range she really has, and like how much room she has to cut loose before she actually loses control. Yes, and how strong she is. You know, we already knew that, but she got to, like, experience it. All right. So with the, with the episode wrapped up in the weirdest way possible, uh, let me ask you, 
Did you like these two episodes? I did. I thought they were fun. Um, I never know how I'm going to feel about stories that are in the Savage Land, but I liked, I don't know, I actually liked all the parts. I liked uh, Carl Lycos's, like, battle with Sauron and turning into Sauron, and the backstory with Garrock was fun, you know, who is this guy, why is he trying to take over, and then most importantly, Storm's kind of personal journey, I thought was great. So I actually, I actually really liked both of them. Yeah, I thought that they they were written really well. Um, they they flowed right like one right into the other, so it really did like it. It felt necessary for this to be two parts, like you said. It it probably could have even gone three parts. Um, the the end is like the weirdest part. You know, the kaiju battle is a little strange, but everything else it was really good. The supporting characters were fun. It was nice to see Kazar again. I don't know why we didn't get any Shanna because. Like, we've already established that she's there with him in the Savage Land, uh, but she didn't factor into either of these episodes at all, uh, which is strange. But yeah, the, yeah, the Carl Lycos story was good. Um, I liked the, the humor in it and uh, the little Easter eggs. I didn't catch the New York Comic Con, so that's cool. Uh, and then Larry Houston being, <laughs> being one of the, one of the cameos was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I liked these episodes. Um, I, like I didn't really know what to expect coming in because I think in the the last few times I've like watched through the show uh, as an adult I kind of tune out for these episodes just because it's like uh, Savage Land stuff like I don't really love the Savage Land all that much and like Dark Phoenix is next so it's like I just want to get to the good stuff but like sitting down watching both episodes trying to take like as meticulous notes as I can to dissect the episode like these are two really great episodes uh that that come together as one really great story yeah i think if they weren't in between all the phoenix stuff they would you know kind of stand out more but it's hard to next to next to phoenix stories <laughs> yeah yeah and especially with uh the fact like they went five episodes for the phoenix saga and then four episodes for dark phoenix so we had like nine episodes uh, yeah it was like major stuff and and this one, these two episodes kind of seem to get lost a little bit in that shuffle. But yeah, these are these are two really great episodes and uh, some awesome Storm and Rogue and Jubilee moments. And of course, Beast being like his best version. So yeah. And Wolverine gets to do the fastball special. Yes. And ride a pterodactyl and, and make a joke. Like that's, it's like the Wolverine trifecta. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. Yeah, he's kind of like a, He's he's not the star of the show, but he he gets all he gets to do all the fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that was fun. Um, like I had mentioned, like this is a new thing for Snicktoons. I'd never done two parts as as one episode overall, but this is kind of what I'm looking to adopt uh, moving forward. So anything that's not a four part uh, series, I, I want to do like all two part episodes in the future as like, as one episode. And so I appreciate you being the Guinea pig for this one. Noel. Uh, it was a lot of fun to break both of these episodes down. You did an excellent job. There were <laughs> like, there was a lot of stuff that I forgot to put in my notes, uh, especially about storm. So I'm really glad that, that you were my co-host for this particular episode. Uh, it seemed right up your alley with storm. And I was glad to bring you on for this one. Uh, although I know that this isn't the one that you had requested for this season. So hopefully we can get our schedules worked out and uh, get you on for the one that you you wanted to come on but I just wanted to to thank you uh, for coming on and doing like two episodes in one you're you're a real trooper 
<laughs> Thanks. It was a lot of fun. I, I feel like it was a good way to do it because I would have, whether I was first or second, I would have been like, oh, but I had to talk about this and the other one. So it was a lot of fun. All right. Very cool. Well, before I let you go, then, uh, why don't you go ahead and take a little bit of time? I know that we we talked about your most recent episode, like at length earlier, uh, but I want you to go ahead and uh, plug your podcast because it is so great. And everyone who listens to mine needs to listen to yours. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I host X-Men Unraveled, which uh, is my attempt to follow the stories of the X-Men in chronological order. So I just did the episode about the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, and I'm moving into the rest of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So definitely at a fun place uh, in the original comics right now. So I'm, I'll, I'm excited for all the episodes coming up. So. <laughs> yeah, and I can attest uh, that your show is excellent. And, yeah, your, your last episode it was just so much fun. Like, there was just so much passion behind what you were talking about. And it's not to say that you don't have that in every episode because you do. Uh, but this one, it's Scarlet Witch is like an unheralded character more often than not. And so it was just really great hearing that last one. That was that was really great. Uh, so, yeah, I think cool. that will uh, that will wrap us up for tonight. Awesome. So much fun. Yeah. So, Noel, again, thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, bub. That is my conversation with Noel Reed from X-Men Unraveled. Had a wonderful time breaking down those two X-Men the Animated Series episodes. And of course, just catching up on our fandoms, letting each other know what we've been up to regarding the X-Men. Sounds like both of us have been up to quite a lot in the last few weeks, uh, furthering our own fandoms. So I hope you all enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Uh, tune in next week as myself and a returning special guest host cover Season 3, Episode 14 of X-Men the Animated Series, which is The Dark Phoenix Saga Part 1, Dazzled. It should be a fantastic episode. Bub, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, please click the link in the show notes and join the Talkin' Snick Discord. It's a lot of fun. We've been talking about all kinds of things from the scripted Marvel podcasts featuring Wolverine to our growing Funko Pop collections that uh, feature prominently the X-Men and uh, just all kinds of other stuff. Uh, sharing our love of Legos and Magic the Gathering and just all kinds of different stuff. It's a fun time. It, it won't take up a whole lot of your day. Uh, but it's just, it's a fun community. It's a very small community right now. So uh, the more people that join, the merrier. And uh, I'm working on doing a giveaway through Discord once we reach a certain amount of members. So yeah, if you've been uh, on the fence about whether or not you want to join the Talk and Snick Discord, I recommend that you follow the link in the show notes. Now, if Discord is not one of your things, if that's not your style, you can still reach out to me via email talksnicked at gmail.com t-a-l-k-s-n-i-k-t at gmail.com until next time bub <laughs>